Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Thank you for being here for the Tuesday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. We have good, bad, and crazy martinis today. And Jim, we're also brought to you today by a brand new sponsor that we're thrilled to have. It's Gabby. Right now, you can check your auto insurance rate or your homeowner's insurance rate for free. No obligation. Takes two minutes and see how much you can save on car or homeowner's insurance. Go to Gabby.com slash Martini, G-A-B-I.com slash Martini. More on them in just a moment. Jim, we actually have some good news from Andrew Cuomo. Should have happened sooner, but at least it's happening. This is from New York NBC4. New York Governor Andrew Cuomo issued a series of new rules for nursing homes in hopes of curbing the spread of the coronavirus and protecting the health and safety of the state's most vulnerable population. Since the start of the pandemic, more than 5,300 New Yorkers living in nursing homes have died from the virus, according to the Associated Press. Hospitals cannot release patients to nursing homes in New York unless the patient tests negative for the virus, Cuomo said Sunday. The governor's announcement is a reversal of sorts from a March order by the state's health department requiring nursing homes to accept recovering patients. And Jim, it's not just in New York. There's a lot of other states where a huge percentage of the coronavirus deaths are nursing home related. In some states, I think they're even a majority of the deaths. Obviously should have happened sooner, but it's happening now, which is about the best we can do right now. My colleague, Victor Davis Hansen, has a lead story on the homepage today. The strange case of the Cuomo brothers. Uh, and pointing out the great irony of, one, Andrew Cuomo getting this ludicrous amount of uh, just glowing coverage that pretty much ignores his ruling and the, uh, the state ruling on nursing homes. I suspect at some point we'll have some sort of claim that, you know, Cuomo didn't know or, or Cuomo wasn't aware of the ramifications of this. Um, look, he's the, he's the governor. It's his job to know what state government is doing. Uh, it's his health department. There's really no, you know, no excuse for this. And of course, we've discussed Chris Cuomo and his heroic battle uh, leaving his house and, and running around while he was diagnosed. Um, but look, the most important thing here is to save the lives, to stop a bad policy. We cannot change the past, but hopefully we can you know, adjust for the future. And I think it's you know, fairly clear that if you're going, look, we're going to have a lot of people who are going to have the coronavirus. And the good news is a lot of these people will not be in intensive care units and they will not be in a you know, necessarily life and death. They could keel over at any second type situation, but they need a place to get better. And I think it's now safe to say the place for them to get better is not in other nursing homes uh, because there's just so many other people around who could catch it from them. Some localities had talked about the idea of, uh, and I went through the long list yesterday of, you know, uh, opening up special ones, reopening closed nursing homes, basically creating facilities where you can get people until the point where they can test negative twice because of false negatives. You don't want to, you know, send somebody out and they're actually still contagious after that. Um, it, it's kind of egregious that it took so long for New York to make this change, but they have, and at this point, that counts as a good martini to me, Greg. You wish they had made the right decision before, but uh, they're making the best decision they can now. It doesn't mean there won't be ramifications and consequences and reviews of what happened, but uh, the best you can do in the situation is to make the right decision then. With uh, other decisions, maybe not life and death decisions, maybe you didn't make the best decision on insurance the last time you had to make that choice. But uh, guess what? You can change that and find out where you can save the most money and still get the plan that's right for you. Because we're all looking for ways to save money, especially right now. 
So when's the last time you looked at how much you're spending every month on car insurance? Because, you know, how much are you driving it? Or homeowner's insurance. <laughs> Now's the time to check out Gabby and see about getting a lower rate for the exact same coverage you already have. Gabby takes the pain out of shopping for insurance by giving you an apples-to-apples -apples comparison of your current coverage and 40 of the top insurance providers like Progressive, Nationwide, and Travelers. Just link your current insurance account, and in about two minutes, you'll be able to see quotes for the exact same coverage that you currently have. And so part of the deal of having this new sponsor come on is you, you check out the, uh, the site and you go through uh, a number of different steps because they obviously have to see your policy. They want to know where you live and how old you are and that sort of thing. And so you, you plug that all in and then Gabby shows you how much you can save on comparable plans. So Gabby customers save $825 per year on average. $825 a year. If they can't find you savings like they do for so many other people, they'll let you know so you can relax knowing that you actually already have the best rate out there. And here's the other thing that I think is really important to point out because when they get your information, there's a lot of personal information in there. They, you know, they want to know all the details of your plan. And so what Gabby is stressing is they'll never sell your info. So there's never going to be any annoying spam, no robocalls, they do need that information just to see what plan you have and, and what offers are out there that could save you money, but your information is protected. It's totally free to check your rate and there's no obligation. Take two minutes, you can do it right now, to see how much you can save on your car and your homeowner's insurance. Go to gabby.com slash martini. That's G-A-B-I dot com slash martini. Gabby.com slash martini. All right, Jim, we've got hearings on Capitol Hill today, specifically on the Senate side. I believe it's the Health, Education, Labor, and Pensions Committee, conveniently nicknamed HELP. So uh, they are talking to Dr. Fauci, uh, Dr. Redfield from the CDC. Uh, a couple other folks are part of this panel as well. But there's a couple comments from Dr. Fauci that are going to get a lot of reaction today. One is this comment about how we're still concerned that states are reopening too quickly. What I've expressed then and again is my concern that if some areas, cities, states, or what have you, jump over those various checkpoints and prematurely open up without having the capability of being able to respond effectively and efficiently, my concern is that we will start to see little spikes that might turn into outbreaks. And then he was also specifically asked a question by Tennessee Senator Lamar Alexander, uh, about uh, progress for uh, treatment and a vaccine, specifically as it related to the opening of school. And Fauci said this. The idea of having treatments available or a vaccine to facilitate the re-entry of students into the fall term would be something that would be a bit of a bridge too far. So Jim, a lot of folks are saying because Fauci does not believe, and I think he's right, that there won't be uh, confirmed treatment and certainly not a vaccine by September that he's suggesting that schools should not open. I don't know that he was specifically saying that. He's usually very careful about what he's saying, but it's certainly going to leave a lot of people with that impression. And you already have states like Maryland, and I think Virginia's even looking at this, that some students will come on some days and uh, others will have to still do distance learning even come September. So we've got a lot of headaches still to come before we get through this. Dr. Fauci, Dr. Fauci, Dr. Fauci. This is two straight days you've been in our bed or crazy martinis. <laughs> we, we expect better of you. 
America's reassuring grandpa. We, we, we like you. We really want to like you. When you keep coming around saying stuff like this, it gets a lot harder to like you, Dr. Fauci. Although I, said, I just recently did point out that he doesn't really, doesn't really matter what his approval rating is because he's, I assume he's giving us his best assessment without regard for favor or anything like that. His job is to tell us what he sees, whether we like it or not. But man, this is not <laughs> what America needs to hear right now. Um, look, there's no doubt that safe schooling in the fall is going to be a challenge. Uh, I think for most people would expect them not to have a, you know, things to be exactly the same as they were. Probably not going to have people crowding in the stands uh, for, for athletic events and things like that. You and I talked about the odds of restarting professional football last yesterday's podcast. Um, but look, and this is not just an exasperated dad used to, you know, with his having his kids around for a long period of time. We love our kids. The kids really do need to be in school in some format. Uh, the distance learning that most jurisdictions are trying is a barely acceptable facsimile. Um, and the kids are just not going to get anything. You know, they're, they're doing the best they can. The teachers are doing the best they can. I don't have a great deal of animosity towards school boards and, and administrators who are trying to jury rig together this program on the fly. But kids need to be able to interact with each other. Uh, now, again, as you said, you know, half sessions, the idea of like, you know, maybe you space people out more. Maybe that makes sense. Um, there are various, you know, changes that we can make. I, I would point out, I haven't seen anybody ask this of uh, Fauci yet. Um, yesterday, there was an interesting study came out of Iceland that said that out of, you know, they had conducted like 30,000 tests. Um, and the guy who'd been director of this program for the testing said, we have not come across a single case of a parent catching it from a child. Uh, and so everyone, you know, started spreading that quote around like, ah, see, this is great. I mean, schools can reopen. It's worth keeping in mind. Iceland has only 1800 cases, uh, which is, you know, like a good day <laughs> for us compared, you know, these days. Um, so th there's a possibility that their, you know, testing may not necessarily, it's not the largest sample size you'd like to see. And a bunch of people are not quite convinced that it's impossible for an adult to catch the coronavirus from a child. But I think what a lot of people are, a theory that makes a lot of sense is the idea that children's immune systems are stronger, which means they fight off the virus better, which means they probably don't cough as much. And if they're not coughing as much, they're not shedding the virus as much. So if you're an adult dealing with a child, even if that child has the coronavirus, you're probably less likely to catch the coronavirus from that. Not impossible, but less likely. Now, does this mean it's safe to reopen schools? Eh, not just, yeah, we'll, we'll have to, probably this is definitely going to require more study. Um, but it certainly indicates that there's less danger of reopening a school than, say, any workplace that has lots of adults working together, like, say, meatpacking plants or Amazon warehouses or any of these other places that have uh, continued operating under the uh, uh, because they're deemed essential industries. So. I look at this and I think we probably can figure out some way to make school in-person schooling work in the fall. I think a lot of people would say that the distance learning that we're trying is not the ideal solution by anybody's stretch. And then Fauci has to come along and, you know, rain in our parade, Greg. <laughs> exactly. I don't know if you uh, caught wind of the dust up, if you want to call it that, with uh, Rand Paul. Rand Paul was frustrated that uh, he has the impression that uh, whether it's the media or, or government, uh, state leaders and so forth, kind of see Dr. Fauci as the oracle here and his comments as it pertains to 
public health, since that's his focus, are being treated as, you know, word from on high. And there's a lot of other factors, economic and otherwise, that need to be factored in here. Uh, Rand Paul used the phrase, you're not the end all. And uh, Fauci says, I agree. I'm just doing my part here from public health. Jim, when I was a kid, the phrase was, who died and made you boss? I'm glad Rand Paul didn't do that because unfortunately, <laughs> a lot of people have died. Yeah, you know, look, there, there are two issues here. One is how Fauci speaks, right? But I, I think out, I, don't, I wouldn't say there's too much that Fauci has done that suggests that he's uh, trying to get out beyond his skis or sees himself as the head of the executive branch or America's, you know, doctor master or anything like that, that he's, you know, calling him as he sees him. I think a lot of it, you know, stems from how he is covered. And, you know, because the media loves to see this as, uh, battle conflict and they love personalities that very early on in this outbreak it turned into Fauci versus Trump right and the, all the coverage oh Trump's gonna Trump's gonna fire Fauci and oh Trump is jealous of all the attention Fauci's getting blah 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 not only has that not come to pass I, I think uh, you know it, it is really kind of deeply frustrating that it gets gets reduced to this and I think that Rand Paul is kind of playing to the playing to the crowd by this by by kind of putting words into Fauci's mouth I don't think Fauci's ever said that he should be the man who has the ultimate say of how uh, the reopening of society should progress. Media is also very concerned that uh, a lot of the Republicans who actually did show up at the hearing, most of them, or at least some of them, uh, joined by uh, video. Uh, but the ones who did, for the most part, did not wear masks while most of the Democrats did. Uh, Tim Kaine looked like he was about to rob the stagecoach as soon as the hearing was over. He just had this uh, red bandana around his face like an Old West outlaw. So uh, I don't know if he and uh, Mark Warner are going are gonna to go hijack something on the way home. I'm sure they're not. But uh, they look like bandits out there, Jim. It's, uh, it's kind of uh, surreal. It's kind of funny in some ways, but uh, it's definitely different. Taxation is theft. All right, well, let's talk about our final martini now. And speaking of masks, the reporters, at least the vast majority of them, were wearing masks in the Rose Garden yesterday while President Trump had his press conference. He was touting his great testing numbers and how they're going to ramp up even more. And, of course, uh, sluggishness on testing has been one of the big criticisms of President Trump since this started. And so he's talking about how we're ramping up. We've done more than the rest of the world combined. And so this reporter from CBS News, who happens to be Asian-American, pipes up from uh, way in the back behind the rope line and says, uh, why are you making such a big deal of this? Uh, uh, it's almost like you have a competition. What, what's the big deal about all this testing? And so on, on one hand, Jim, uh, it's kind of weird that the, the narrative has changed so quickly. But of course, then it became the big dust up that most people know about where Trump says, hey, uh, if you want to know what the big deal is, go ask China. Well, then she pulls her mask off to reveal that she's Asian-American. She says, why would you ask me that personally? And all of a sudden, CNN and everybody else run off with this whole xenophobic, uh, racist narrative about Trump. But as you have said, Jim, the more important question here, instead of all the sniping, is what exactly has China done both months ago and more recently? And do we actually understand what they've done? You, of course, have done an amazing amount of research on this. So what are you learning? And perhaps just as importantly, what do you make of the fact that so few uh, seem to be as curious as you? Yeah, so this is deeply frustrating. And here's the thing, you know, would I characterize Trump's response to that uh, reporter as curt, perhaps even obnoxious? Sure. I think the, the, the question seemed like a damned if you do, damned if you don't situation in which 
uh, for a long time. The criticism was this country isn't doing enough testing. This country isn't doing enough testing. And uh, now we, you know, the kind of testing has been ratcheted up. The, the administration is talking about it. Of course, Trump's bragging about it. Have you met Trump? This is who Trump is. And the response is, ha, why are you turning this into international competition? Well, because the, the crux of a lot of the questioning put it as a, a questioning. Right today, today in the Fauci hearing, it's why aren't we doing as well as South Korea? I had tweeted out something yesterday and mentioned yesterday's jolt. Read about all the ways that South Korea is tracking people who have been tested uh, and who are either potentially positive or who uh, are, have entered the country. They, they, they've done a level of, of invasiveness in their you know, monitoring of people that many people would find Orwellian. If the South Koreans are happy with this, and by the way, apparently it seems like they are, great, God bless them, that's what works for them. The American people would not accept this. And I think if you're, you know, I don't know if you can hand wave away, hey, we want the government to be able to track you all the time and government minders will check in to ask you how you're feeling several times a day. I believe it was 37 times over a three day period was this guy's description. Um, so if you're wondering why we're not doing as well as South Korea, well, that's why. But regarding the, uh, you know, was Trump's question racist or something like that? Look, Trump is obnoxious to everybody. <laughs> Trump, is, Trump is rude to everyone. I don't think he was necessarily picking on this woman in particular. Um, but the other thing, which, you know, today's whole jolt is all about, okay, he says, go ask China. Well, what is happening in China? Dear listeners of the Three Mark Eating the Lunch, do you hear a lot about what's going on in China these days? Do you feel like you get regular updates on at least other than, you know, you, you hear what the official statements are probably because the official statements from China are constantly telling them, oh, China's got this, you know, totally nailed and they're, they've solved this. In fact, by the official numbers of China, they've had basically no, only a handful of new cases in March, April, and so far into May. That seems really, really low for a place that's got a billion people and it was the epicenter. Um, it's worth noting the Washington Post had said back on April 3rd, they ran the numbers of what the crematoriums were doing in Wuhan, the number of urns that were returned by funeral homes. They ran the numbers and came up with a death toll closer to like 42,000, 47,000, something like that. The Wuhan uh, death toll is below 4,000, right? And when they decided to adjust them upward, they just happened to adjust them exactly 50%. Uh, one more indication that either that's a remarkable coincidence or China is just making up the numbers as they go um, with only a nominal connection to the actual case results. They have two new outbreaks, one in Wuhan, another place in Shuhan. No, I'm not making, oh, sorry, Shulan. I'm not making that up. Um, now, because China hates to admit bad news and because their instinct is to suppress bad news, if they are admitting that they have two outbreaks right now, what does that tell us? It must be pretty bad if they can't hide this any further. Um, other little things you may have heard back in March, they reopened their theaters. Like after a couple of days, they closed them again. It was back in March. It's May 12th. They are still closed. Um, my guess is China did not actually get this under control. Certainly not the way that their official numbers indicate. They've probably, you know, lessened the load. They've probably reduced the caseload uh, considerably from the worst days of the epidemic in December and January. But they haven't beaten this. And this seems like a big issue because if they're ahead of the curve that we are, we should probably be you know, keeping a close eye on how they're doing and what the spread is and how bad it is over there. And we're hearing almost none of this from the mainstream media, unless you go looking for it, because the mainstream media loves to make every issue about Trump. And there's more to this story than Trump, dear media friends. There are bigger fish to fry right now, uh, but no one seems to care. So again, as soon as they had that exchange, you knew it was going to dominate the next 24 hours of the news cycle. And we just, we, we just cannot walk and chew gum at the same time, apparently, Greg. 
No, and it's very frustrating. Sounds like the Chinese statistics are about as reliable as that time the Iranians cooked the election for Ahmadinejad and he had the exact same margin of victory in every part of the country. That's remarkable. uh, Yeah, really lucky that way. (laughs) Very, very consistent. That's what you call a really state-of-the-art get-out-the-vote system. (laughs) You mentioned Iceland a minute ago, and I saw this uh, on Bloomberg uh, earlier today. Uh, They say a 102-year-old Icelandic woman who survived the Spanish flu has now recovered from COVID-19. And Jim, a lot of times you don't think of being 2-0 and as something to really celebrate. It's not (laughs) that fantastic. But in this situation, that's pretty darn impressive. He's 2-0 against the worst pandemics, you know. Throw the original SARS at her, see what happens. <laughs> Start throwing other stuff, bioweapons, you know. No, you know, every one of those cases, you look at that and you're like, what's in her blood? Jim, uh, fascinating day as always. See you tomorrow. See you tomorrow, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Corumbus, Radio America. Thanks for being with us today. Don't forget our brand new sponsor, Gabby, G-A-B-I dot com slash martini. Take two minutes and find out how much you can save on your car or homeowner's insurance. Please subscribe to the podcast. Leave us a kind review with five stars. Get us on those home devices. Say, play Three Martini Lunch podcast. And please join us again Wednesday for the Three Martini Lunch.